It is sweet to see how quickly our congregation learns a new song. Um, the words of the, wor the song we have just sung, I hope you will take them to heart this week and meditate on them, especially thinking through this, the last stanza of the song, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, gracious savior of my ruined life. How many of us can experience and can, can look back at our lives and recognize their times, their experiences when we have truly ruined our lives. And yet, there's no ruin deep enough that the Lord cannot save from. That's the amazing hope of this gospel, of the Savior, of this Redeemer, of this rock that we sing about, that we uh, proclaim, that we exalt in, that we boast in. Praise be to Him. Friends, have you considered that becoming a Christian affects our view and attitude to the government. Let me put it another way. Do you treat the government differently now that you're a Christian? You should. We should treat the government differently now that we are Christians. Have you considered that the gospel affects not only our citizenship in God's kingdom, but it also affects how you and I carry our citizenship in the earthly nation that God has placed us in? In other words, uh, the gospel is not only helping us to be good citizens of heaven, but also to be good citizens of the earthly kingdoms that God has placed us in. Does the Bible have anything to say about our earthly citizenship and how we live our lives under the governing authorities that God placed us under? And the answer is yes, the Bible does have something to say about that. And this morning we will see that the gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. The gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. And we will see how that's the case. Would you open God's word to Romans chapter 13? I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 7. Romans chapter 13, we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 7. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in asking God to bless this word? Father, thank you for revealing your will to us. Thank you that we stand before this word and we want to stand hungry to hear and to be nourished and fed by your truth. We pray that you would do so through the authority of Christ and through the presence of your Holy Spirit among us. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 
You may wonder what a timely text to preach on two weeks before taxes are due. And if you wonder if you should pay your taxes, I have a word from the Lord. Well, the Lord has been giving us this word for 2,000 years. The message, the primary message and argument that this text is bringing to us is that the gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. The gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. As you heard this text read, you may be wondering, Pastor, where is the gospel in this text? And the answer is, it's in the context. It's in the context of this passage and of this entire book. For 11 chapters, Paul has been unfolding the gospel of God. How God is forming a people for himself by saving them through the sacrifice of God's own son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. This gospel forms a people for God, a people who gather together corporately to be one body. And this gospel not only forms a people for God, but it affects each of us personally. In chapter 12, after, after 11 chapters of presenting this gospel, in chapter 12, we are, we're told that in light of the mercies of God, in light of this gospel, we are to present ourselves as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to the Lord. This gospel changes us and it calls us to a life transformation that happens through the renewal of our minds. This gospel changes how we think of ourselves how we live in community with other believers as one body, as members of one another. This gospel affects how we love one another. Our love must be genuine without masks. All this Paul has covered in the first 12 chapters of this book. And in the second half of chapter 13, Paul will come back to the theme of loving one another. All this transformation all this corporate belonging to the people of God, all this need for genuine love is a big banner of application that flows from what the gospel produces in us. But tucked in between these applications, and particularly tucked in between the application to, to, to let love be genuine and then to love one another at the end of chapter 13, Paul tells us that the gospel affects also how we relate to governing authorities. In other words, our love for one another, the, relating, the, the command to relate to each other in love, does not stop only with the walls of this church. It also extends to how we relate to governing authorities. It may seem surprising that this set of commands on how we relate to the government is sandwiched between the commands to love one another. As one Bible teacher put it, it's a strange thought that good citizenship is an expression of love. Strange, but true. So, in light of this context of the fact that this passage about governing authorities is sandwiched between the commands to love, we see actually the claim of the gospel, that the gospel deepens both the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. Another way to say it is this. Christians adorn the gospel by properly submitting to governing authorities and honoring them. Our renewed thinking caused by embracing the gospel, affects how we relate to one another, including how we relate to the government. Governing authorities are not limited only to the political offices, but including law enforcement and all offices that exert authority over our lives as citizens of this nation, including your tax office. 
Some of us have a pretty low view of governing authorities, especially these days. Perhaps you've had lots of experiences where the way they've handled situations have left you with deep disappointment. Perhaps you're not happy about the fact that taxes continuing to increase. Perhaps you're not happy about policies that our government is making. Perhaps the efficiency with which a government works uh, has not impressed you. Some might say, oh, this is good enough for government work. That's a way of looking poorly at the way government handles business. But friends, is it possible that in our approach and attitude to the governing authorities, we may actually be sinning against the Lord. And we may actually show a lack of love in the way we treat governing authorities. So the message this morning is, the gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. This charge that the stake the text makes that Christians must submit to governing authorities, we see it in verse 1, and it's repeated again in verse 5. But what we see in this passage are the reasons for submitting to authorities and some of the applications for submitting to authorities. Let's look at not only the command to submit to authorities, but, but the reasons and the, and the applications, the, the, the why and the how of submitting to governing authorities. In verses 1 through 5, we see the reasons for submitting to authorities. In these verses, the command to submit shows up in verse 1, in verse 5, repeated as if, as if Paul is introducing the command and then repeating it again. Look at verse 1. Let every, every person be subject to governing authorities. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. What we see in these verses is not just the command to submit, but also the motivation. The why. Why should Christians submit to governing authorities? And in these verses, verses 1 through 5, we see three applications, or I'm sorry, three reasons why Christians must submit to governing authorities. And as we examine these reasons, I hope that the Lord will help us gain depthness, appreciation, why we should submit to governing authorities. The first reason is because all authority comes ultimately from God. Because all authority comes ultimately from God. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. And then there's the first reason. For, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is a way of saying that ultimately, the reason why we are called to submit to governing authorities is because ultimately, all authority has its source in God. In our universe, in this entire created order, there's not another ultimate authority that is in competition with God. Sure, there are rulers and authorities of darkness, those who rebelled against God, Satan, and the angels that have followed him, but they are not the source of ultimate authority. If they have usurped authority and, and assume it for themselves, it's because they have rebelled against the ultimate authority, which is God. God is the authority behind every other human authority. And the authorities that exist in our world, in our nations, exist to govern the nations because God has instituted those authorities over the nations. If God is the ultimate authority behind every human governing authority, this means that the authority our government officials have is not an authority given to them from the people which is democracy. A democracy says that our governing authorities have authority to, to govern over us because we give them that authority. 
That is democracy. That is not what this text tells us. This text tells us that actually governing authorities that govern over nations and peoples actually have their authority from God. This means that we, the people, the citizens of this nation, are not the ultimate source for the authority of our governing authorities. Ultimately, they are not accountable to us, but to the God who is the source of ultimate authority. And friends, this biblical teaching is challenging us as citizens to recognize that we are not the ultimate authority, even if we're the ones who are electing our office, th those who are in offices. It is true that we have the responsibility to elect our leaders. We can vote them in and we can vote them out. But their authority, once voted in, their authority to govern over us is not coming from us, but from God. If they misuse that authority, they are accountable ultimately not to us, but to God. If they lead in a way that is opposite to God's moral order, they will ultimately be judged not by us, but by God. Citizens in a free democracy have this amazing right to elect our governing officials. And we have a responsibility to vote when the opportunity comes. But the authority our elected officials have over us does not come from us, but from God. A similar thing happens uh, in a church governing structure especially in, a, in an understanding of, of church governance that is congregational, which is as we understand it in this congregation, the members of the church have the responsibility to elect the spiritual leaders of the church. Every member of this congregation is entrusted with that responsibility. But once a person has been entrusted and elected to that office, the authority of the shepherds, the authority of the pastors of the church, comes not from the members, but from God. Now, the church members can hire or fire, can elect or vote out a person from that office, but the authority of that office is not coming from the people. It comes from God. And pastors and, and church leaders will be accountable ultimately not to the people, but to God. But you, the people, or we, the people, have the authority to elect who is recognized in that office. Do you see how that works? In a similar way, in governing authorities, we have a responsibility to choose who the governing officials are. And that's why for us as Christians, when it comes time to vote, we should think of that responsibility very responsibly, very highly. God gives us the ability to have a voice in this democracy. It's a gift from the Lord. Other people in other nations don't have this responsibility, especially in communist countries, totalitarian regimes. We have an amazing responsibility. And we as Christians should use that responsibility, recognizing that the authority of our government officials comes from God, and we get to have a say and who the specific people are who fill those roles. Well, friends, that's why Christians should be very educated voters. That's why Christians should be the ones who want to go to the polls to exercise our responsibilities well. Our job is to voice our opinion who gets elected, but recognize that governing authority comes ultimately from God. So the first reason why we should submit to governing authorities is the recognition that their authority is not human. It comes from God. He is the Lord of lords and the king of, of kings. In submitting to governing authorities, we recognize the authority of another. And that's the point here. We see this coming up in verse 2. That those who 
resist the authority of governing authorities are actually resisting what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, before we, before we move on, and there's some pra- other practical applications, let me, let me address one of the big objections. What about living under evil government regimes? Like the one led by Hitler or Stalin, or currently by the communist China, or living today in a country that is governed by the Taliban. Well, friends, just because sinful human beings are misusing their office of authority does not mean that God is to be blamed for the misuse of that authority. Remember Pilate? He was talking to Jesus hours before Jesus would be crucified. Pilate said to him, to Jesus, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And what is Jesus' response to Pilate? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Even Pilate's authority was given to him by God. God instituted governing authorities. Even the Roman authority was instituted by God. But just because some people in those offices misuse that authority does not mean that God is to be blamed, one side, or that those in authority will get a pass. There are times when those in authority oppose God and their policies pressure us to disobey God because we we have to choose between obeying governing authorities or or obeying God. And when our choice is between obeying human authorities or obeying God's word, Scripture is very clear that we must not disobey God in order to obey people. When we have to choose between the two forms of authority, human authority, governing authorities, or God's authority, we must obey God. Peter said this beautifully in Acts 5, verse 29, when the spiritual leaders of Israel, those who were so-called in the office of the shepherds, have forced Peter to stop preaching about Jesus, Peter said, we must obey God rather than people. So when the option comes that you have to choose between one or the other, we obey the ultimate authority, which is God. But when disobedience to God is not at stake, when we don't have to choose between obeying people versus obeying God, then our submission to people and to governing authorities is a manifestation of submitting to God. That's why authority is a concept that is ultimately derived from God, and that's why when we submit to governing authorities, when these don't pressure us to disobey God, our obedience to governing authorities is a manifestation and a recognition that we obey and submit to the ultimate authority, which is God. The implication of this principle is given in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Friends, does it surprise you to hear that in resisting authorities, as long as they are not forcing us or pressuring us to disobey God, if that's not the case, and yet we resist them, we are actually resisting what God has appointed. Unless the decision was co- that the government forces on us is causing us to sin or disobey God, we have an obligation to not resist what God has set over us. Let me give you a very trivial and yet very common temptation, application. 
one that I used to be very guilty of. And I'm not proud of it. Looking back, I realized how big of a rebel I was, even as a Christian. Speeding limits. I know. It would be easy to say the Bible doesn't have speeding limits. It's nowhere written in the Bible, and you're right about that. But in enforcing speeding limits, we're not forced to disobey God. It's not a choosing between obedi obedience to God or, or obedience to people. So it, fall, it, it clears a path. And as long as it's not a, an issue that leads us, pressures us to disobey God, then whatever governing authorities say, we actually should receive it and not resist it. Because resisting it is to resist the one who put those people in charge. So unless our authorities force us to disobey God, and I'm, I'm not aware anywhere in the Bible that lack of speeding is disobedience to God, we are actually called to obey even the 25-mile speeding limit. Friends, I have not done this well. But think about how easy it is for us to, to trivialize that and just say that's just a human-made rule. It's not in the Bible. It's just a human-made rule. And the point is, you're right, it's a human-made rule, but it's a rule made by those in authority, and those in authority have been put there by God. And therefore, even their trivial rule has the endorsement of God. I may not like a specific rule or stipulation that the authorities have set up over my nation, over my neighborhood, but unless that stipulation opposes God's law, I have a duty to submit to it because their authority is an endorsement of God's authority. Or their authority comes with an endorsement of God's authority. It is possible that actually some of our disdain for governing authorities may come from the fact that we just don't like being under authority in the first place. And that's the problem. Is it possible that actually our desire to just come up with our own rules and when we don't like the rules that the government is making for us, we just live as we like? Is it possible that actually that desire comes from the fact that we just don't like living under the authority of anyone? Friend, is it possible that your suspicious views of our government comes from the fact that you don't like anyone to tell you what to do? And when you don't like anyone else to tell you what to do, when their rules cross with yours, you are very clear and adamant whose rules will win. Yours, you think. Well, friends, that is a sinful posture. Sin corrupts our relationship to power. Sin wants us to be the ultimate authority, to be in power, and rejects any notion of being under authority. Now, it's true that part of God's image in us is that he has, to be in the image and likeness of God is to have dominion. Remember the the, the, the command that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. There's something about the image of God in us that actually is built around the, the ability to exercise authority. But that authority was never for us to be the ultimate authority. And we only exercise authority well when we ourselves stand under God's authority. And when God puts other forms of authority over us, our submission to those authorities is a manifestation of being under the authority of God himself. Sin, however, corrupts all of those relationships. Sin corrupts our 
relationship to power and dominion. Because ultimately, we want to put ourselves in the highest seat of power and authority. Oh, friends, such autonomous views of ourselves resists God's authority and opposes God's design to put practical manifestations of authority in your life. And the governing authorities are one of the practical manifestations of God's authority over us when it comes to our citizenship in this earthly kingdom. Oh, the gospel, my dear friends, the gospel deepens the duty of submitting to governing authorities because it actually tells us that we recognize we are not ultimately the ultimate human authority. We actually recognize that there is a higher authority over us. Ultimately, that's God. And He has given and delegated a portion of that authority to governing authorities over us. That's why, actually, when you become a Christian, you should have a deeper appreciation and respect for submitting to governing authorities, not less. Reason number two. So if the first reason is because all, because all authority comes ultimately from God, a second reason why the gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities is because authorities are God's servants. Authorities are God's servants. I wonder if you saw it in verses 3 and 4, that this picture of being God's servant shows up twice. And then it's repeated again, as ministers of God. Who are these? He's not talking about the priests. He's not talking about the pastors. He's not even talking about every one of us, even though all of us are called to serve God. But notice, who are called servants of God? Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror of good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Did you notice twice the image of God's servant? And it's not talking about you and me. It's talking about governing authorities. But how can Paul talk about pagan governing authorities? I mean, think the Roman Empire. Think about the polytheistic policies that the Roman Empire was, was promoting. Think about Nero. How can Paul speak about pagan authorities as God's servants? They are not God's servants in the sense of being saved. Sometimes when we think about being God's servant, we think about you're now in a right relationship with God and you serve God exclusively, entirely. That's not the meaning here. The meaning of being God's servants in the sense of it's those who carry out God's purposes. And God, in his providential ability in his sovereign power has the ability to use even pagans and non-Christians to carry out his purposes. He's done it in the Old Testament when God wanted to punish Israel for their idolatry, for their disobedience. He has used pagan kings to come and punish his own people and to take them out of the land. God described King Cyrus, a pagan king, as his servant, as his shepherd. That doesn't mean that Cyrus was saved. It just means Cyrus carried out God's purposes. In that sense, he was a servant. In a similar way, non-Christians who are in authority positions, in governing authorities, are God's servants in the sense that they carry God's purposes when they fulfill the particular aim of distinguishing between good and evil and punishing evil and promoting what is good. 
they are God's servants in being a deterrent of evil deeds. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And this is, this is one of the ways they are God's servants. They deter what is evil by their presence and by their policies. They're carrying out the punishment for evil deeds because this matches with God's purpose to punish the wrongdoer. When evil deeds are not punished appropriately, governing authorities fail to carry out what God has delegated to them. But when they do punish evil deeds appropriately, they do what God entrusted them to do. They are God's servants in the sense of executing what God would execute. And their presence and their policies in a place should be a deterrent to more wrongdoers. They're also God's servants in carrying out God's wrath. Did you see that in verse 4? For he is an, the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Earlier in the previous context, chapter 12, God told us through Paul that when people uh, wrong us, we should not take avenge in our own hands. We should not revenge ourselves individually. It's God's to revenge. Leave it to God. But here in chapter 13, God says that actually governing authorities are one of the authorities, one of the bodies that God has instituted and delegated authority to punish evildoers. Friends, that means that law enforcement, no matter how you view them, law enforcement was actually designed by God to punish evil, to catch wrongdoers, and to execute justice. Sometimes they may misuse their authority, but that does not mean that we get a pass in disregarding the divine authority that God gave to law enforcement to do what they're supposed to do, and we should honor the office that God has given them. We should pray that they would do it well. We should respect them. Well, friends, governing authorities are charged by God to punish evil and affirm what is good. And when they do so, they're carrying down God's purposes. Are you afraid of governing authorities? I mean, when you drive around and you see a cop coming up near you, or, or he's at a distance, do you quickly panic and have a little bit of fear? Or you're just glad? Oh, I'm so glad there's a cop on the streets. Honestly. What's your first instinct? Fear or joy when you just see a cop on the street? I have to confess, because of my instincts in the past, my first response when I see a cop is one of fear. Because in my sinful flesh, I keep going in that direction of driving faster than I should. But the point Paul is saying is, if you don't want to have a fear of authorities then do what is right and you'll have no fear of them. If anything, they will approve of you. They will commend you for being a godly citizen. Live in such a way that if governing authorities audited you in some area of your life, they would find nothing wrong. If you were audited on your taxes, would you be afraid? Pay your taxes in such a way that you can sleep well at night if you had a tax audit from the IRS. Do what you ought to do. Be a godly citizen because God instituted all governing authorities, even the IRS. God instituted them so that we may do what is right before God because all authority comes from Him. Well, friends, the surprising part in this passage is when it says that actually God instituted these authorities for your good. Did you catch that? It is for your good, verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. You know what is worse than getting caught for doing something evil? It's not getting caught. 
what is worse than getting caught for doing something evil is not getting caught. If you are doing what is evil and you get caught by the authorities, that is good for you. Because they are God's means of stopping you in the tracks of pursuing and going on an evil path. And all the while, excusing it, finding ways to cover it, living in duplicity, God wants to use authorities to catch you. And when they do, it is for your good. The gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities. The final reason why we should submit to governing authorities is because of conscience. Because of conscience. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in submission not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And verse 5 summarizes one of the, the reasons that was mentioned earlier why we should submit to authorities to avoid God's wrath. But also, the other reason is for the sake of conscience. And this is a, an interesting reason. Is it a separate reason or is it a summary of what has been said earlier? I think it's a summary of what has been said earlier, but with a new twist, with a new spin on it. The, the reason summarizes what has been said in the first part of the text. If we understand that God is the ultimate authority and he chose to delegate governing authorities, governing authority to governments, and if God has made them his servants to carry out God's wrath against evil and to do so for our good, then our conscience should embrace this goodness of God's design. And when we choose to not submit to governing authorities, we actually work against our conscience. Because God designed this design, and he's, He designed it good. Friends, you and I may not agree with all the little or all the specific, big or small, particular governing choices that our government is making, the policies that they're making. But for the sake of your conscience... You must hold the authority granted to our government authorities in high regard as if coming from God. Unless they're causing you to sin and leading you to disobey God through what they are promoting, if that's not the case, then it is your duty for the sake of your conscience to submit to God's authority by submitting to them. You acting against your conscience in this matter has spiritual manifestations and effects for you down the line. If, you, if your disagreements with their policies causes you to rebel against their authority, be cautious that you are not acting against your conscience in what God designed as good. Oh, friends, when governing officials fail and act in evil ways, when they actually act in evil ways instead of re restraining what is evil... We should lament. We should not submit to evil practices, even by our government. But even when they take a wrong route, we must not protest in such a way that somehow we diminish the authority that God has given the government. We must do so with dignity. We must do so with respect, recognizing that the authority our governments have is ultimately from God. Our conscience must be trained by the Word of God to see governing authorities as a good thing. Yes, we may protest when what they ask us to do or what they promote opposes God. But friends, don't hurt your conscience by giving up on the goodness of governing authorities just because at times they're not acting in the right as God would have it. The gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities because of these three reasons. Because all authority comes ultimately from God, because they are God's servants, because of their conscience. 
And then this passage gives two practical applications. And the practical applications of submitting to this authority shows up in the following two ways. Paying taxes and paying honor. Paying taxes and paying honor. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Friends, does it surprise you to hear that it is very appropriate for us to pay taxes to the government because they are ministers of God? A surprising reason. Because governing authorities are ministers of God and God calls them to do this full time, to devote their lives to it, we have to support their work. And paying taxes is how we support the work that God has entrusted to them. Paying taxes are one of the practical ways you are supporting and submitting to God's authority. Wow. Honestly, until I read this text and dug into this passage, I never thought that when I went to the Travis County tax office and paid some of my taxes, or when I prepared the, the taxes for the yearly income tax review, that I'm actually submitting God's authority and recognizing God's authority through my paying of taxes. Have you thought that even your paying of taxes is an act of worship? Some of you are nodding your heads. I understand. I didn't realize it until I dug into this passage. This is why we pay taxes. Even that is an act of worship. So when Paul said in chapter 12, present your body as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, it was a picture of an all-life devotion to God, including your taxes. Yes, even taxes can be an act of worship. Now, you may not like the fact that they're increasing. You may not like how that is being carried out. When voting time comes, you can do as your conscience leads you to vote those in power. But as long as they're in power, you and I have a responsibility to pay our taxes and do so as an act of worship to God because it is an, a manifestation of submitting to God's authority. Friends, how many of us are saying, I'm so glad I get to pay my taxes? None of us. Honestly, we would love to find a way, a loophole. Hey, I, I got... I got away with not paying taxes this year. You would feel like you got a deal and do so legitimately. I'm not, I'm not talking about illegitimate ways. But even the idea of just trying to find every loophole in the tax law to find ways to evade paying taxes, that comes from a heart that does not recognize the goodness of paying taxes as an act of submission to God to support the authorities that God has instilled instituted and established over us. When we see that the authority that our government has comes ultimately from God, even our tax paying should be done differently. That's what Christianity does to you. That's what the gospel does to those who understand that ultimately God is in authority of everything. The call to pay taxes is repeated again as a command in verse 7 just in case we missed it. Look again at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to all taxes to those to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. That includes every kind of bill. All financial obligations we must pay. Paying your bills is a God-honoring responsibility that we should do. Yes, there are times when the money runs out, difficulties arise and we can't pay. Yes, there are times when the bills that we are charged are are irrational and we may dispute the, the reasonableness of that particular amount, but at the end of the day, my dear friends, we should not be looking to the government for a handout. We should pay what we owe. The point is our attitudes to our debts should be one of wanting to pay what we owe to others. And then pay respect and honor. Look at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. 
Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Well, friends, when we submit to the governing authorities, we should submit not with a heart of, I guess I have to do it. I have no choice. I mean, God tells me I have to submit. Oh, no, that, that would not be a good heart. Paul is saying here, don't just act like you are submitting. Don't just do it on the outside. Do it on the inside as well. Honor them. Respect them. It matches with a call to love being genuine. Don't just put a face mask over your honor. Genuinely honor those who are in governing authorities over you. Genuinely respect them. The Christian's submission to authority, said one author, the Christian's submission to authority is a practical example of honoring other people, applied specifically to those in in places of authority over us. It is therefore an expression of love. We show proper love towards our government by showing proper submission. Friends, the gospel deepens the duty and the honor of submitting to governing authorities because we recognize that in doing so, there is an ultimate authority over our lives. There is an ultimate authority over all creation. He's the Lord of Lords and He's the King of Kings. Because of Him, we submit and we honor others. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, to you belongs all dominion, power, and authority. And yet you have delegated some of that authority to human institutions like governing offices. Father, help us to recover and to live out our honoring of the authority that ultimately comes from you in all other authority structures. And help us for the sake of Christ and what he has accomplished in our hearts, help us to be a body of believers, a society, a group of people who worship you even through the way we submit to others whom you have placed in authority over us. We bear all this longing for the day when your throne, when your grace, when your dominion will be seen by all. Help us, Lord, to do so in a joyful and loving way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.